Hi, I'm Jess and I'm the oldest. Oi, I'm the oldest. I'm Shtee, I'm the dad and this is actually my podcast. And I'm Tommy, I'm the youngest. Welcome to the podcast. At the heart of hearts, we're all very creative. I've had a very interesting life. You've travelled all over the world. I remember being... Oh, interesting. This is not how I remember this story. story, story. Pints are not a good measure for filling Jacobs's fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So, welcome to episode three. Hello. Can you believe we're at episode three already? It feels like only yesterday that we were starting this thing. Anyway, this is the Podlux. We're the podcast where uh, my sister and I talk to our dad and get him to tell us stories from his ridiculous life. So, Dad, it's a new episode. What's your story? This is almost... I'm calling it a mid-air drama, but it's actually three tales in one, this one. I can't wait. Three for the price of one. <laughs> so this this takes us to Mozambique, um, which is a country in the extreme south of Africa. And actually, this story is the same age as you, Tommy, because it's around about 1992 mm-hmm. that this happened. Mozambique um, is an amazing country. Uh, it's about two and a half thousand kilometres long and it's long and thin up the west coast of Africa and it has loads of incredibly gorgeous beaches. And just in brackets, um, when you take off from the capital Maputo uh, and it, the plane banks over the sea, you can see those thousands of kilometres of beaches just stretching as far as the eye can see. Wow. Um, wow. But in, in 1992, uh, Mozambique had just emerged from a, a, a horrible civil war. Uh, there'd been a peace agreement between the elected government and the, um, and the rebel forces. And so the country itself was, was kind of littered with landmines because um, both sides had put landmines down. The, the government had put them down to sort of protect their buildings and the, the rebels had put them down to, well, to destroy the population really and discourage them. Hor- terrible, terrible um, situation. But I was uh, responsible for some programmes that were running in Mozambique at that time. Um, after the Civil War, there was a big effort, which has only just ended, actually, to clear the landmines. And there was a group um, called Halo Trust uh, that uh, they cleared about, I think, 150,000 individual mines. And it took them 20 years to do it. Um, I can't imagine how you even start doing something like that. Yeah. That's terrifying. Well, it, it is terrifying, but there's obviously procedures and ways of doing it that make it safer. I don't suppose it'd ever be quite safe, but... Um, in, in visiting at the time, you you would see um, alongside a track signs, uh, red triangular signs saying landmines with a picture of a skull and crossbone. Uh, in other words, keep out. So it's quite a dramatic place and it's a former Portuguese colony. So the, the national language is Portuguese. Um, and I had an occasion to visit there, which I'll talk about a little bit later on. But whilst I was there, I came across... Uh, two guys who were landmine clearers and they didn't work for a traditional organisation. They were, they were private contractors who sold their skills for, for clearing mines and they were like two guys I've never met before or since. I mean, I've written down here that, that they were long hairs. I mean, I don't know if that's a, an abusive term or not, but, but I mean, the, the, the main characteristic of these two guys was they had enormously long hair. I thought at the time <laughs> and I thought now... Because oh, there was a song years ago, <laughs> I met this long hair on the street. That was the, the words from this song. And I, was, I just thought, my gosh, these are long hairs because they've got long hair. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> I really thought that you might have been about to take that 
uh, that it meant something or something different. But but if it just means long hair, it's I think quite literal. That's fine. It's, it, it's, a, it's a description. <laughs> that's all it is. And so, I mean, I, I would say this if the guys were here today. They're sort of rough and ready. Um, they'd they they worked hard and played hard. Craggy faces, um, suntans. Uh, met them in a bar. Um, and they were telling me that um, when they were clearing mines um, a couple of weeks beforehand, uh, whilst one of them was working on a, a mine field, a, a mine had gone off. Uh, spoiler alert: Whoa. he's still alive because he was telling me this. So <laughs> a mine had gone off. A mine had gone off, um, and it, it blew him into the air. Whoa. And uh, he landed sort of bloody and unconscious, um, but oh, obviously alive. So um, because these guys worked sort of on the edge of kind of um, traditional ways of working, I suppose, uh, his colleague phoned for a helicopter to come and take him off to hospital. And so helicopter flew in and landed. And you can imagine it wasn't exactly an airfield. They were, they were in a minefield, not an airfield. So the helicopter landed and um, they loaded this chap who was unconscious into the, into the helicopter and off it took. But, and this is the first mid-air drama, unfortunately, as, as it took off in this clearing, uh, the pilot judged the spatial uh, situation wrongly and the, the rotor blades clipped a tree and uh, twizzled the helicopter over, which then crashed and caught fire. What? Spoiler alert, the guy's still alive because he told still me. Still alive, so he told me the story. <laughs> Yikes. So the, um, they fished him out of the burning helicopter and all they'd got sort of there was this a truck, flatbed truck. So they made a sort of makeshift stretcher and put him on the, on the back of this truck. And he then bumped his way to hospital along sort of uh, uh, roads that were... Um, well, they weren't like the M5, should we say. <laughs> and anyway, he arrived in hospital. And by which time he'd come round and was complaining bitterly about this, that and the other. And the long and the short of it was when they dusted him down and washed him off, he'd got two broken ribs and that was it. <laughs> So he'd been he'd been blown up by a landmine, had straight into a helicopter crash, and ended up with two broken ribs. And I still think that's one that of the most amazing stories. Yeah, I've ever that heard. is wild. All of that happened within an hour um, <laughs> uh, of, of each other. And I, I just thought that's a great one to tell your grandchildren. I mean, it didn't happen to it's me. It's like a diehard movie. It didn't happen to me, but it's a, it's a still a good it's story not to a third hand story. <laughs> well, it's not a third hand story. I heard it from the. From the guy mm, who, who mm. told it to me. It so. wasn't, you know, your brother's neighbour's sister's story. Or even somebody who met at a bus stop, which is the other place <laughs> I get my story. So how old were you when you were in this bar with these long heads? Well, if this was 1992, 59, 92 minus 59 must be 33, I think I was, something like that, yeah. At that time, as I think I mentioned, I was managing a programme in Mozambique. I was based in the the UK and had we had a team of people and uh, as if Mozambique didn't have enough trouble with its civil war that it was just emerging from it was also suffering from a, a terrible drought um, two years of very poor rainfall and failed crops so we had a um, a food distribution program uh, that I think there were about one and a half million people were affected and, and had to leave their homes to go and look for food so we got a team in and, and we're, we're distributing food um, in, in a, another part of the, of the country from where the mine incident happened. And uh, we, in fact, we were working with two other agencies in a coalition so that we could sort of have more impact. And we'd agreed that we would have a, a visit on site in Mozambique to discuss the programme, work about funding and so on. So I, I 
flew there through Johannesburg in South Africa. And the link between Johannesburg and um, Maputo, the capital of Mozambique, is it's just, it's just a short hop. In fact, you can drive it. But um, I took one of the two main airlines that fly it, which was Air Mozambique. Or, I mean, I wish I had a Portuguese accent because the, the, the title of the airline is Lineas Aerianas de Mozambique, which is LAM for short, we used to call it, the, the airline. Anyway, um, queued up at Johannesburg and in front of me in the queue was a, a very well-dressed gentleman. Um, there was only one class on this particular aircraft, so we were all queuing up at the same um, check-in. And uh, uh, I don't know, got chatting the way you do at check-in and um, he told me he worked for the United Nations and uh, he said that he spent all of his life flying around the world from place to place and I think I quipped, well, you must have a lot of air miles then, because at the time, air miles was a, a big thing. It's not mm. such a thing now, but it'd just been sort of invented and, you know, people were really keen on this idea of collecting air miles so you could travel for free. And um, and I said, my word, says, you must have loads of air miles. And he came out with a figure. I don't know what it, whether it was, was a 500,000 or a million. Oh, there's some ridiculous amount of air miles that he'd collected mm. through flying around the world. But he said, the problem is, he said, you know, if I've ever on holiday, he said, the last thing in the world I want to do is go and fly anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I thought straight away in my head, that would be very handy if he could donate those to, say, a charity, um, which could then use them for their staff to, to visit programmes like, like the one I was visiting. Good thinking. Mm. And, well, in fact, it was a great idea, but as with all good ideas, somebody else had it as well. And... and, and um, Later on, MRs did, in fact, introduce a system where you could donate your, your MRs to charity, which is, was great. I mean, we never benefited from that, in fact. But anyway, that, so anyway, we took off on this little short hop to Maputo. And this is midair drama number two, uh, which did actually happen to me. Um, because as we, as we came into land um, at Maputo... I feel like a bit nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I think I'm just so in the story. It's like... Spoiler yes. alert. He is still here telling us the story. Yeah, he's OK. Anyway, as we came into land at, um, at Maputo, uh, there was a thing called wind shear. I don't know um, if you've come across this term, but it's, I don't really understand it myself, but it's something to do with downdraft on an aeroplane and it happens around about airports when there's a storm, that kind of thing. Anyway, the net result is the plane drops dramatically, um, very quickly. And it did this just sort of when we were coming into land. Um, so it was the heaviest landing I've ever had and blew mm. a tyre on the undercarriage of the aircraft, which went off oh. with quite a nice little pop. It went pop. Mm. Uh, but you knew that wasn't a proper sound for an aircraft landing, quite apart from the fact you were still picking yourself up off the floor because it was such a heavy landing. However, no no damage to us was done. Uh, the tyre suffered, but we, we taxied and, and arrived. Uh, and in fact, all was well. So I had the usual boring meetings uh, in Maputo with my co-conspirators, uh, the other agencies. And then somebody suggested that we actually pay a visit to the site of the food distribution programme to bring it all to life. Nobody had thought of this before, but it was an obvious idea. Um, but of course, you needed to get there. And uh, with the time available and the roads um, in the area, we decided to charter a flight to to fly to the, the project zone. And this actually generated a bit of, of entertaining discussion because there were three agencies, of which I was representing one, uh, but there were 12 people for this conference. So, I mean, my agency was the sort of group that only sent one person to a conference because of the costs, quite reasonably. 
And uh, but the others had sent one had sent five and the other had sent six people. So we needed a 12 seater aircraft to take us and they were available. And we, we duly found out what cost was to hire it. But then to my horror, um, it, it was assumed by the other two agencies. And I can totally see why they assumed this, that the bill for flying this aircraft to the project zone would just be divided between the three groups i.e i would pay a third <laughs> that's the that that's i don't know if you've heard that this is a discussion that goes on these days but more more in a restaurant setting where no. it's mm. it's do people do people assume that the bill is being split between everyone there but there might be one person who can't afford a fancy meal and has paid for ah, just a starter and a glass of water the cheapest thing. Mm. exactly or do people you know and the person who has specifically ordered less because they can't maybe afford it is thinking absolutely we should just pay for what we've mm. ordered because I have not indulged as much as everyone else it's, and everyone else is going it's fine we all had about the same sort let's just split <laughs> yeah. it it's the only way it works is if everybody is doing really well money wise uh, or if everybody is very very relaxed about the money that they do have whether it's a lot or a little because I, I feel like it's always unfair like it just that situation never really happens where everybody's doing well in the same group of friends everybody's in different scenarios and also, I yeah. think it's one of those things where you just, you have to address, it was certainly in that scenario going out for, for a meal, you just have to talk about it before you've mm. done the ordering because yeah. the yes. problem always lies Completely. at the end where it feels like if you're saying, well, I would rather pay less, that you're somehow cheating everyone out, out of stuff. But actually, it's good communication, isn't it? Let's talk about things yeah. in advance. Well, yeah. Anyway, we've gone off track. No, totally. But <laughs> let me just tell you, the stakes are great, much higher when it's six thousand dollars that you're paying, not not six hundred. You know. So yeah. anyway, I, I don't know what the I don't know what the amount was, <laughs> but I didn't feel that I wanted to pay a third of it when I was only one twelfth of the seats. Yes, that seems fair enough. Well, eventually that negotiation ended up with me paying a twelfth of the price, which I was was happy with. Um, anyway, so we 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 all pitched out and got into it. Very exciting because. You know, a little plane, and we're all sort of sitting on top of each other, no room for luggage or anything. Not that we needed luggage. It was actually an 11 passenger seat plane, so one of us uh, had to sit in the cockpit alongside the pirate. Pilot, pirate. <laughs> 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 alongside the... I see where this mid air drama is going. <laughs> yeah. I knew there was a problem. He said, You a... are, as I got on. Anyway, the, um, uh, I was in the cockpit alongside the pilot, and the Behind me was um, my 11 colleagues. Um, and so we took off. There's about an hour and a half flight to the project zone. And, you know, the spirits were high and we were all just chit-chatting away. And I was, I was obviously loving every minute of being in the cockpit because so many gauges and dials and switches and all sorts of interesting things to look at and switch and press and twiddle with, you know. It's brilliant. <laughs> I was going to say, uh-oh. <laughs> but the, the, the pilot was a good guy. He was, he was sort of uh, very friendly. Um but I mean, it, there wasn't much to see because, on, on, you know, in some cases, for the last two years, in fact, if you'd flown over Mozambique because of the lack of rain, you'd be able to see everything that was on the ground. But the weather had changed and rains had come. So it was all very cloudy. So you couldn't really see very much. But the, the conversation was good. Um, anyway, we flew an hour and a half and arrived over the airfield. Um, uh, and I could see that this pilot had got on his... He'd got a little um, display, not, not a screen, but um, a, a notepad, an ancient display, a notepad. <laughs> I thought you meant an actual notepad. Ah, no, a notepad before notepads were existed. <laughs> Something you write Wait, on. Wait, what? Wait, no, you, oh, you do mean a notepad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not a notebook. 
which might be confusing the computer. Oh dear, this is bad. What this I is mean bad is what I mean is bits of paper stapled together that you write on. Um, and, <laughs> Thank uh, you for clarifying. An ancient display. <laughs> and, gotcha. Uh, Carry on. As part of this, clipped into it was a map of the airfield, and I could see it had got some safe height, five hundred feet. So uh, he duly descended to. 500 feet and um, the cloud base was still there the clouds were lower than that so we were flying in clouds in other words we we were flying blind couldn't see anything and um, so he sort of said well he said I'm I'm sorry to say you know we're gonna have to to go back because um, I can't see where to land and and it's it's no safe to go any lower so um, I think some people said can't we fly around for a bit and he said yes he said but I don't think the weather's going to change um, but then there was a, a chap in the back who was um, one of the team. He wasn't visiting from the UK. He was one of the team from the project area who'd come to Maputo to brief the, the conference. So he knew the area and he knew the airport we were flying on. And he said, oh, no, he said, no, this, it's all at sea level. He said, it, there's, there's, not a, there's not a hill in sand. He said, it's as, as flat as a pancake around here. Whatever that chart says, it's really safe. You could, you know, there's nothing to hit. Oh no! Mm-hmm. So the pilot was absolutely no, no. He's, you know, I've had years of training. This chart has been drawn up by people who know what they're talking about. It's 500 feet. Anyway, the debate continued, and you know, 12, 12 people, expensive flying, an hour and a half, six thousand dollars for the plane. You know, what a waste. Surely, to goodness, there's a way. And this chap was saying, no, no, very enthusiastically, he was saying, um, there's, there's no danger. It's really flat. Anyway, upshot of it was, believe it or not, he persuaded the pilots to, to, to descend a bit further and see if we could lose the, the clouds. So none of us were nervous about this. And thinking back about it, I, don't, I can't imagine why we weren't nervous, but it was a lot of sort of yeah. jollity in the cabin and, you know, great, you know, let's, yeah, let's go down a bit further. Yeah, yeah, let's go down a bit further. Uh, all driven by this, this one uh, staff member, actually. And so the, the pilot circled down and uh, down, and I don't know what, height he got to but um he was going down and suddenly he saw a hole in the clouds uh, just a little hole plain sized hole uh, through which he could see the ground and he could see huts and people and so that meant he he knew he was safe to dive through it so he said right and he, he literally dived through the hole um in the clouds and there was a great sort of cheer went up amongst the people uh, in the cabin which was instantly went to silence when you could hear a pin drop because right alongside the aircraft was a huge radio antenna that was sticking up into the clouds. And uh, he was right. There was not a hill in sight. It was as flat as a pancake. But there was a huge radio antenna right in the middle of the aerodrome that we came came as close to hitting as you could imagine um i mean we didn't hit it spoiler alert i'm alive telling the tale but um we uh, we then came into land but i mean to, what sticks in my mind are two things one is that great sort of we've made it and then the absolute silence as people realized how close they'd come to a sticky end so could you see it out of the window as you were sort of passing it yeah it was like you... it was like just passing the wings of the aircraft as it came down yeah <laughs> what I mean, did the pilot say uh, he was pretty quiet but he i think yeah. he i mean I, I i don't remember exactly i think he muttered something like i should never listen but my, the other thing that sticks in my mind was how one person can can sway the kind of opinions and common sense of quite a large group of people who 
wouldn't have been there if they weren't sort of um, well-educated and, you know, that they, they've got lots of resources at their disposal uh, for weighing up risk. And, uh, and they, we were all swayed by this mm. one chap who mm. said, don't worry, I know the place, it's flat as a pancake. And, you know, could have, mm. could have put 12 of us into another life. That is a wild mm. story. That is such a mid-air drama. Oh, yeah. I feel... I feel not ready to fly. <laughs> Looking forward no. to my next year of Star Trip. But it is really interesting, that thing of the confidence with which somebody says something definitely affects how people sort of take that information. And, and I mean, people are saying it left, right and centre, you know, it's it's the whole argument behind fake it till you make it and mm. and kind of, you know, say something with confidence and people will believe you to to sort of better and worse effects, really, because there are definitely times in life where sometimes you just need to kind of fake that confidence in order to sort of make yourself believe it and and you know that can be really effective and but I wonder what I wonder what he thought of that the person that had said no we'll be totally fine we'll be totally fine mm. did you get any debrief with him like when you when he realized I, that there was a big antenna that he could have flown over I, I I'm sure we did I I don't remember it but I I did I mean bizarrely and that's partly what reminded me of this story is that his profile popped up on Facebook um, a couple of weeks ago, and I've had no <clears throat> no contact with him since. And you know, that's, what's that? Thirty years ago. Um, so I thought I would send him the link to this podcast if we upload it, and uh, just ask what his uh. memory of the story is, and get a get a comment from him. <laughs> oh, great! Episode four, we could do some uh, some some sort of debrief thoughts, hopefully. So were you about to say you had a couple of other? plane stories or oh yeah not for today stories. no i'm just trading them for the future that i've my my most exciting drama is still to come but um Ooh. Yeah. press the subscribe I don't even button know which one you're talking about <laughs> 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 well and i've also got another couple of stories about mozambique which are not to do with planes actually but they're again there for the future um so exciting i i st- it still blows my mind how many adventures you've been on and especially especially just thinking of us back at home being like la 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 dad's just you know away and there you are <laughs> dipping through a tiny gap in the clouds and whizzing by and radio I mean, antenna seriously. i don't i don't even really remember you ever going away like on mm. these i mean i suppose obviously 1992 is a little early for me to remember things but <laughs> um in general like i don't I'm, I feel like it's a secret life that you led, which I'm sure you weren't yes. secretly in Mozambique and stuff. But um, I didn't. I don't think until the last couple of years, probably, or maybe a little more than the last couple of years. But I realised the extent of quite how uh, how many japes and adventures you got. To. I mean, the thing is, but if if it's all you know, you kind of think it's it's not that dramatic, really. It's like it's if you're normal. born into a rich family, <laughs> mm. you just think that everyone's rich because that's all you know. Um, mm. And, and you know, recounting and remembering them for the podcast is, is, is great fun. But, I mean, partly because my job took me to places where there'd been usually post-conflict conflict, usually post-conflict, usually post-conflict <laughs> situations. Um, it, quite often it was an interface between uh, political ideologies and very often there was a communist um, aspect to that. And uh, one other very funny thing that happened in Royal Leamington Spa, where we lived for many years, um, uh, which you wouldn't really believe in a sort of suburban street, one of our neighbours learned and realised that I was visiting um, places that had formula influence from communist um, power. So Mozambique was one of those. Um, Ethiopia was another, probably others I can't remember at the moment. But anyway... 
this this guy um, suddenly took me aside and he said, "Oh, he said, um, I'm I'm working with a, a group of of Russians." He said, "And um, and I think your experience and your contacts in these countries could be really useful." And I was thinking. Well, anything to make a quick buck, you know. I mean, I wonder what it is. You know, is it selling lollipops? <laughs> you know, how bad could it be? Turns out, it's selling. <laughs> well, turns out, how bad could it be? Can't get much worse how than bad, selling lollipops. How bad was it? <laughs> well, turns out it was arms trading, selling guns and weapons. What? And uh, oh my word. the 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 chap involved said that he was one of our neighbours. Yeah, we can't go too close to how many how far away from us it was, but he he um. He claimed that uh, he was under protection and that if he, he, his house was a safe house. Well, as I'm telling you now, it seems like it was all fantasy and probably was. But um, there was one time when he uh, invited me into his house and showed me his um, book of contacts, his business card book, which is a huge lever-arch file of plastic sheets with the business cards all neatly arranged. And there were sort of... Um, UK government minister's cards. There was enough in it for it to make me think there's something in this story. Um, but anyway, he said that, you know, if he needed it, he could push a button and there would be guys with guns there quickly to protect him because he was um, he was dancing quite a dodgy tightrope in life. That's extraordinary. But how easy would it be to to just print a business card with, like, fake details on just so you can then show people and be like, oh... But, but why would you? But why would you? Oh, I don't know. I'm just trying to make it, like, you know, reasonable somehow. <laughs> All the time I was thinking, could these be fake? And, of course, they could. It's very easy to print a business card. Not so easy then, but, but it, it, it's very possible. Vistaprint, do a great discount. Use promo code PODCLARKS. <laughs> Not actually a promo code, but if you do want to sponsor us, Vistaprint, get in touch. We could all do with that. Listen to the podcast as well. Um, uh, I'm talking to Vistaprint. Um, <laughs> just, just, just to clarify but yeah, so, but no, the thing is, what I thought was, uh, there must have been five hundred business cards in this file, I should think, and you know, some of them were had the the British national kind of government emblem embossed on them. So there was enough about it for me, or, or had he just come across this, found it somewhere, and dreamt up a story around it? Um, I never came to a conclusion. It seemed totally implausible. But on the other hand, he and that's right. When I was in his house, he 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 rang. He rang one of his contacts to do with Mozambique and got me to talk to him. And it just left me with a real creepy... I didn't know at that stage it was all about arms and guns, but it it, it left me with a really creepy feeling down my my spine, thinking whether it's right or whether it's wrong, I I want out of here, please. (laughs) Mm. That's so strange because, as you say, even though it sounds incredibly implausible and unlikely, I'm particularly thinking back to Leamington Spa and, you know, what that town was like. But at the same time, what... Why would he print off hundreds of business cards and go to the effort of making them look really nice just to sort of get you to come in and potentially like yeah that's I don't believe that I don't believe he unlikely. made it I, I don't believe he made it I think he um uh, he it, it was either true or he found it one of those mm. So my my question for you is what is what do you think is the most things your face has ever carried at one time? <laughs> <laughs> We've been meaning to talk about this for a long time and I think it's a great topic of conversation. It flashed back into my brain and I thought, I do want to ask, because I think I can probably yeah. win this competition, but I'd be interested to know how many things your face has carried. So my face at the moment is carrying two things, headphones and my glasses. So pretty run-of-the-mill day for me. 
Um, well, do we count your hat as, as, as being carried? Yeah, I'm wearing a hat. I'm wearing a hat. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's three things then, yeah. I didn't even realise. Well done, Head. That's good work today. Just carrying three things. I feel very, very undervalued. Not undervalued, under something or other. <laughs> oh, no, don't feel undervalued. <laughs> we value very you highly. Underachieving. I've got, my, I've got glasses. That's it. Full stop. And, and headphones. And headphones. Oh, headphones. <laughs> Don't underestimate the power of your face. <laughs> We're all forgetting one item. Come on, Jay, then what, what's your story? How, how many can you rack up? Well, so currently, currently, I I only have headphones. So, so, But I'd say this is very low because at the moment, you know, we're dealing with a world that is that is mask wearing on a, on a daily basis. And I have seriously struggled, especially in the colder weather, because it is it is not <laughs> unlikely for me to be wearing a hat, some headphones some earrings, some glasses, <laughs> and a mask. That's a strong five. And the reason why I thought of the question was because was because trying to take a mask on and off whilst wearing headphones <laughs> and with earrings and trying to avoid sort of your glasses steaming up overly mm. is a tricky task. And I think maybe I can put on my CV that I am... Um, really really uh multi-skilled <laughs> in uh in in well multitasking what i would say is interesting is actually really and truly when we get to the bottom of all this you're talking about what your face carries but actually i think the ears need a bit more credit in this scenario because they're carrying everything really your glasses they're rest doing on them, the bulk of the your work. earrings <laughs> your your headphones like everything also no, mask- i'm pretty sure you've got a bobble in your hair and i think that counts as something Although not by your face, to me. True, I, true. I thought about it and I think it doesn't count. Do you know what it reminds me of? I, I think with your multiple carryings on your head, face, stroke, whatever, um, what you really need is... Uh, <laughs> is you, well, the thing is, you have to take them off in the right order and put them on in the right order, otherwise you get into all sorts of trouble. Yeah. And that needs a checklist. Which brings us back to the pilots, because you know when he's landing, he's got a checklist. He's, and he goes through to make sure he's done everything and hasn't forgotten anything. And you need a checklist. Take off he- headphones, mask, earrings. On your notepad. Scarf. <laughs> on your notepad. <laughs> I really like the idea of standing outside Sainsbury's waiting to go in, but first getting out your piece of paper and going, OK, so it's headphones out, <laughs> mask on, earrings through, headphone in, and then onto the other ear. OK, now I'm prepared to go in and do my daily shop. Do headphones ever complain with them? Um, Earrings, I guess they do sometimes, don't they? <laughs> I would, I, I would say on their own, headphones and earrings just hang out nicely side by side. It's, it's the mask that really complicates everything, uh, and the mask and glasses. Oh my goodness, what a mask and glasses mm. might as well time. just never exist at the same time, in my opinion. I take my glasses off when I go into the supermarket, which means I can't really make out what anything <laughs> is. So it's a bit of a problem. But it's, it's better. My vision is better without my glasses than it is with my glasses completely fogged up. And yes, I do know the tips and tricks of how to stop them from fogging up, but they never work for me. I don't know why. I haven't managed to make it work. So just getting in there before we get lots of horrible tweets, people being like, um, don't you know you put tissue paper over your nose and it stops? Anyway, I'll stop getting so angry. I'd be up for those tips because I don't know that I've seen them. Oh, and I'm okay. so bad. I'm so bad at seeing that I could not take my glasses off to go into a shop because... Because you can wear contacts, so it's not so much of, a, of an issue. But apparently, no, I'll, the number one thing that people told me, and um, I could never get to work, is getting a uh, um, a single block of toilet roll and folding it up. So um, it becomes like a long rectangle. And then you put that over the bridge of your nose so it gets trapped in by your mask. And then the airflow sort of hits the bit of tissue and goes out to the side rather than like up through your glasses, which is what causes it to steam up. 
And I was I was so excited when I was told, but it didn't work. Now I'm imagining a person standing outside Sainsbury's with their checklist of how to put on their mask in and around their earrings and their headphones, plus with an oblong of toilet roll wadged up on their nose. And I wonder if this is a conspiracy to see how ridiculous we can make ourselves look before somebody goes, hang on. That's here. Can I just say, after all these years of education, that toilet rolls comes in sheets, not blocks or oblongs. Oh, it's a sheet, it's I knew a sheet it was wrong when I said it. I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't work it out. <laughs> <laughs> Block. There's always a lesson to be learned. You know what I meant. It's fine. I do know what you mean. No, I've learned a new lesson. I didn't know the toilet roll came in sheets rather than blocks or oblongs. So oh, well, there you go. I mean, I, for, for my experience, lived experience, for my shape of nose, type of glasses and masks that I tend to wear, is that if I put the mask, pull the mask up underneath the glasses bridge and it sits on my mask rather than my nose, that they don't fog up. But that's for me. I just think, I presume you've all tried that. But well, I'm really that's... happy for you, Stephen. My mm. issue with that method, although that is the one that kind of works the best for me and this may be some issue with my nose, but I find it really hard to breathe if my, if my glasses <laughs> are sitting on yeah. that bit of my nose. And then, and then you just have a very stressful shopping time. I have a feeling my glasses slip off my face if I put them anywhere further down my nose, especially on a mask that's not like a greasy nose that grips it nicely. <laughs> yeah. Well, all I can say is until you've been blown up by a landmine and crashed in a helicopter, you haven't got anything to worry about reading. Yeah, lives are pretty I would good, say really. we've, gone, we've gone from, yeah, some serious <laughs> problems to some very not serious <laughs> problems. Jess Clark, in the background of your... Uh, image i can see a blue dress hanging on the wall is that or is that not a dress that you've made yourself it is it is it's the, it's the dress that i was talking about in yeah. in podcast episode one nice. however no. it's not finished oh. and and i can't remember when we recorded podcast one but when i listened back to it i thought oh wow i was talking about making the dress <laughs> then and i still haven't finished it and my problem is and it's a stupid problem but the problem is that i'm so nervous about ruining what I've done so far because so far I'm quite <laughs> pleased with what's happened that I'm so nervous about ruining yeah. it that I don't kind of I don't take the next step and so I'm yeah. do, so basically I'm just doing it incredibly slowly yeah it looks like it a dress doesn't really it does matter. look like a dress yeah if I wear it it looks a little bit more like a kind of graduation gown because none of the sides are done <laughs> up I've just got the sleeves <laughs> and the neckline <laughs> so it might be a bit funny to wear out well, and about at the moment maybe okay so next week or month or year whenever we record our next episode we're going to put it in as an agenda point and now that means that you're, you've got some sort of pressure yeah. is the dress finished my challenge yeah my month is a long time it. and you're not and there's nothing worse than a dress that you just can't wear there is nothing worse <laughs> mine's whatever a dress that you can't wear because it's like a graduation gown in the scale of problems nothing worse you know what i'm trying to say is you can't make it any worse than where it is right now <laughs> what I mean by that is, what I mean by is, is keep encouraging me. I love that. At it. Keep you can't at make it. it any worse than it is right now. What I mean is, as a oh, dress, I'm so pleased I've got such encouraging. <laughs> no, wow. I love it. I really thought that was going to come out as like an encouragement, and it just was mean. Um, no, but... it was incredible, and I loved it. And you are right okay, in many ways. I can't make it any worse than it is right now. <laughs> Tune in next time to find out if you've made it any worse. (laughs) (laughs) I made a note while you were telling the story, Dad, just because I really liked the phrase on the edge of traditional ways of working. Mm. Ooh. I just thought it was a really nice way of describing those guys and how how they operated. Yeah, well, I I think um, sort of health and safety didn't really come into... Well, I mean, I suppose when you're 
demining somewhere. That's a kind of a bit of a, a an ironic term anyway. Mm. Um, but I mean, I just have this. I, I was kind of in awe of them really because they just were so. They were a lot of fun. I, I didn't bring that in at all. They were a lot of fun, you know, sort of joking around and as if mm. their job wasn't really as serious as it was. Um, and uh, but yeah, no, they they were. They didn't worry too much about anything. I would hazard a guess you, you might have to be that kind of person that is sort of, um, I don't know if aloof is the right term, but, you know, easy come, easy go. Because because of the gravity of your job and how stressful you would found it if you worried about things, that maybe you have to be that kind of person that is, like, easygoing to even well, do it in the first place. No, I think that's not quite so, so right, actually, because I did mm. meet other D-miners who were, you know, very meticulous and very kind of measured and did everything completely by the book, uh, different sort of character types completely, because uh, mm. a, a lot of the safety um, relies on sort of following the procedures that are laid down for, for good reason. And mm. I, I remember, I mean, one particular tip, um, if you're ever D-mining, which I hope you ever, never <laughs> have to... Um, <laughs> Uh, you probably remember this, or you might know there's some fairly famous footage of um, Princess Diana visiting Angola and bringing landmines to the world's attention, really. But but she's walking wearing a, a clear plastic visor, uh, which oh, is not totally dissimilar to these COVID visors that came out at the beginning mm. of, the, of the lockdown, actually. But it's sort of worn on a band around your head and it comes down and covers your full face. Hanging off your ears, by the way, um, <laughs> but it, it flips up and down, and um, and actually uh, up is is easier to see because it doesn't steam up. Funny enough, another link to the masks. And you, so I sort of looked at them and I thought, well, what on earth protection would that give if a line landmine goes off? But in fact, it's it's if it's if it's down, then all the blast goes sort of up it and around it and over it. Whereas if you have it up, then it it, it catches all the blast and there are. So it's a it's an incredibly simple but very effective tool mm. um, in in terms. Of, so I mean, you know, th- these guys were very meticulous generally, rather than these. That's why I think that's why these two really stuck out. Mm. Yeah. Well, there you go. That was some. We we really mined a good story out of you there, didn't we this week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> feel free. I feel All of this do. time, and that's the best oh. you could come up with. I feel, oh, sorry. I think my Zoom connection must have gone dodgy. You must not have heard my joke properly because you didn't laugh. thanks so much for listening to the podclouts you can find us on all of the social medias we are at the podclouts if anyone's interested Uh, so go search us follow us and um keep up to date with dad's wild adventures which i'm loving hearing about it's goodbye from me it's goodbye from me no i don't want (laughs) (laughs) i'm so sorry (laughs) and it's goodbye from me until next time